because the thing is you don't want to maintain your patch forever you want it to get no get it into that code base and then then it's someone else's problem isn't it (laughs) (laughs) hello and welcome to offscript today we're going to be talking about react native Hey, Rio, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. Um, so today we're going to talk about React React Native uh, and how, yeah. how you kind of got to know about it, um, use cases and, and all that sort of stuff that makes it interesting to you. Yeah, so as you know, we're a digital agency slash consultancy, yeah. um, and a lot of what we do is, is taking clients' ideas and business problems and turning them into applications. Yeah. And a lot of that tends to be quite iterative so they've got a formation of an idea and they want to see if it works and Mm -hmm. change it quite rapidly yeah so when we're doing that we might want to build out like a a web back end a bit of an admin panel and then start iterating on a mobile app as well Mm. and react native was sort of the obvious choice because it allowed us to quickly get something up and running and iterate on the ui and the more and more that we use it the more that we fall in love with it because Mm. it it does really give you a very rapid way to 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 develop apps. So we've got a internal pipeline which you can you can commit some code and you can get it into someone's hands in a couple of minutes, mm. and it'll actually just push push the diff to to, to the app. Um, and yeah, I think it's just been a really good choice. Um, and a lot of the people think, oh, are you using? JavaScript or TypeScript, it's going to be slower, but actually the performance is really good. Mm. Um, and yeah, you've seen lots of lots of major apps use it, especially in that sort of early stage. Yeah, so I think the because you know React Native has not been um, it's not new. You know, it's been around for for a while now. Obviously, it's it's, more, it's a more mature um, framework, if you will. Um, so I think people might be asking, you know, why 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 are we talking about this now? Um, I think because it has stood the test of time. It, ha- it has shown that it can be used in in quite um, significant sized apps, so for quite complex um, apps. Uh, and I think a lot of the reasons that you like using it um, are probably the same reasons a lot of people do, which is um, the reuse, the consistency, the you know the skills that are, revolve around using that tool chain. Yep. Um, so, I guess firstly, how, how did you get to know about it? Then? So you know, obviously React, very popular front end framework. Yeah. So we were playing around with it in the early days uh, when Facebook first released it. It was quite clunky back then. Yep. More difficult. Um, obviously, the Xcode like the native app building experience in Xcode is lovely. Yeah. Like it's really nice. The Apple ecosystem is great. Yeah. Except for CocoaPods, which is a bit of a weird oddity where yeah. you have this Ruby package manager to manage your, your Objective-C Swift yeah. dependencies. But apart from that, <laughs> the ecosystem is really nice. Um, so you wouldn't want to throw that all away for good reason. Mm. And the good reason is, unfortunately, um, clients need multi-platform. Yeah. So you need to build an Android app anyway. Yeah. And do you want to do that in Kotlin or Java? Mm. Sometimes you do, but I'd argue that would at least double the cost. I think it's hard to ignore as well the so for an agency of your size, which is what forty five people. 
50? Uh, um, yeah, we're going to be pushing 60 soon. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. a bit behind. <laughs> um, but, you know, whilst it is a significant sized agency, you don't want to have um, internal shops for those different disciplines, maybe, um, if, if this is the route you want to take. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the good thing about React Native is that you, you can use native UI. Well, yeah. everything is native UI. Mm. So the, the actual structure of components is calculated and then there's a there's a real native process which renders proper native ui so you right. can have a native android drop down or a native ios drop down and there are libraries that abstract the differences away right which as you know leak abstraction all that you, yep. sometimes you have to dive in and bespoke it slightly for each platform yeah but you can you can also go all the way down so I, what i wouldn't recommend is using expo Hmm. for a client app just because you don't get the full flexibility to to sort of dive in and change stuff underneath if you have to right so that's where i think earlier on in the in the react kind of ecosystem um in the react native ecosystem there was definitely some um challenges where people felt like they were down a dead end they, they didn't have any get out of jail free cards in terms of um breaking into um the kind of OS specific areas, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Unfortunately, if you have a, a a crasher or some issue which is in the native land, you do need to understand all the way down. That's true of any tech. Yeah. So eventually, you'll need a Java dev or an Objective C dev to be able to unpick bits. Mm. But once they've done that, you, you're, the rest of the team can move really quickly. I think that's it's one of those things. Isn't it? It's like the the benefits sometimes outweigh the the kind of um, the negatives. So I, I, you know, back in the day, you know, um, don't you remember Coffee Scripts when that first came out? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. hugely popular, but ultimately you still have to dig into the source tree or the stack traces of, of JS because, uh, and sadly, it wasn't that easy to understand. <laughs> um, but yeah. this is the thing, you know, some of these abstractions might buy you time or maintainability or other things like that. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you still need to interact with the underlying code base, right? Yeah, so you'd still need to be debugging all the way down if you need to. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is that the standard debugging tools will work. Yeah. Um, you just have to, yeah, do a bit more digging because something might be happening mm. in JavaScript land and then it's knocking over the incorrect thing across the bridge mm. and then the crash happens there. But the the tooling's getting a load better. And you can add, you can add things like bug snag and give it your... Um, give it your source maps and also give it the the dynamic library name stuff so it, it knows exactly the function names that it crashes in the native land as well yeah um, but you can do anything and there are ways to improve and fix things that you don't have control over as well mm. um, so there's a there's a utility called patch package which when I describe it to you you'll think that it's awful <laughs> <laughs> but loads of like I've had other agencies give give us their React Native code bases, and a lot of them have this right. have these workarounds in. But effectively, what it does is you can change a native module, and it'll apply that patch when when you run Yarn install or npm install. Right, and it it makes it easy to add one or two line tweaks to to fix a problem. So, you know, in, in the way that I'd compute that is it's similar to kind of C extensions in Ruby or something like that in terms of patching um, part of the runtime or something like that? Or? Yeah, so you can, so say you had a library that was doing um, some sort of native menu hmm. and you know that this one line of native code would 
improve the performance or change something about it. Yeah, um, you can you can do that, and often you'll find people posting those fixes in in threads and stuff like that, mm. uh, and you can just apply that. Uh, it means that you get the security and improvement updates without forking the package. Uh, okay. When you run the command, it actually it actually uh, pre-fills a pull request for you. Oh, right. So if, if it's something that's of, of interest to the author of the package, you can mm. open a pull request, which we as Parallax try and do. We try and contribute back. Yeah. Um, and it just simplifies that flow. So instead of forking it, um, changing the one line, depending on that forked package and then it going stale, mm. you've all seen that sort of problem. Um, you come back to the project six months later and that package has moved on loads and then yeah. you need to unpick it again and get it up to date and all the rest of it. Nice. Um, but yeah, I would recommend checking checking that out to, to sort of smooth over any issues. Um, but it, it does help you move really, really quickly. Um, and there's a, there's a sort of standard set of libraries that we as Parallax try and use on new React Native builds. Mm. Um, and one of those is... Uh, Lottie, right. you might have heard this from Airbnb. I haven't actually. Um, so it's an animation library and it has native iOS and Android players. Oh right. Um, but in in After Effects, you can you can obviously animate um, loads of nice vector stuff, mm. and it'll output to JSON using a plugin called Body Moving. Right. So this is like kind of like um, all the advantages like. Think about like flash movies back yeah. in the day. Um, it sounds a bit like um, GSAP for for kind of native yeah, environments, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that's it. So you can you can make an animation really nice in in proper tooling. Mm. Export is really compact JSON, um, and then play it at full whack frame rate. Um, so instead of embedding like a video into your app mm. for an intro animation or something like that. Just have a really tiny bit of JSON. That's really cool, and it looks really slick as well. So, we'll dig a bit more into some of this tooling uh, in a second. Um, but I just want to kind of step back a little bit. So we've kind of talked about why you choose React Native over separate um, OS-specific um, builds. Um, you know, in terms of speed to prototype, in terms of um, skill. Um, I guess skill availability in the team, um, parity between building web apps and things like that in React already. Yeah. Um, but what's what's the experience like as a as a developer? So you know, I'm starting a brand new React Native project. You know, how is this different to something like Xcode or or using you know Kotlin or something like that? Yes. What's the difference? So you get one slow build, which is your like your main Xcode build or yep. your Gradle build for Android, and then you get hot reloading straight right. out of the box these days. So your experience is change something in VS Code, press save, and it immediately updates in, in the, the simulator. And is that using the Xcode simulator? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uses the standard simulators. Yeah. Um, for Android, I prefer using a real device. Right. Because the emulator is a bit slow. Right. Um, but that's not a React Native issue. That's just, that's just, just the Android, Android ecosystem issue. issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, real device is always nice. And you, and you can hot reload directly onto real device that's plugged in. So how does that work with... So, you know, Apple famously with the App Store, they're, they're quite restrictive in terms of what they allow to be to be released. Yeah. How does that work with with them then? Because surely they would have concerns around you updating significant parts of the app um, without their knowledge or, or approval. Yeah, so there's two things. There's hot reload is dev only, so that's just for while you're coding. Yeah. And then there are tools where you can 
change the code of the app at runtime when it's in production effectively. Right. Uh, The terms of service are clear that you shouldn't be um, changing any major functionality. Mm. Um, There's a page on one of Microsoft's sites where they they highlight a specific bit, but you can have bug fixes and improvements shipped through that means. Right. Uh, We just had an app approved yesterday with with that technology embedded in already and they're aware of it. Nice. So it's totally allowed. Uh, Microsoft do it with a bunch of their apps. Um, the The main advantage of that is, yeah, so let's say you find a real bad bug in the app. So mm-hmm. It's only come to light after you've gone live. What you'd usually do is build a new version of the app, submit to Apple, hope that they've, they're on standby and they're not having a bad week. <laughs> yeah. Because it's up to them how long it takes for them to review it. Yeah, which doesn't tie into your release time. That's right. <laughs> sometimes the terms of use changes and their guidelines change. So they mm. might add a new requirement like, oh, we now need you to add this checkbox or this permission or you need to change something, mm. which is all really good stuff. But when you're doing a hotfix, it's quite stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so being able to, to sort of push directly um, is is really useful. Uh, Android land, I don't think they care what you do. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Google Play approval process is sometimes a little bit painful, but they're not as pedantic, I don't think. Right. Like okay. They might be slow, but they won't nitpick. Right. Okay. Um, whereas Apple are like, yeah. you need to have a button which automatically deletes their account if you can sign up within the app and things like that, mm. which is good stuff for the consumer. Yeah. It's just effort for the developer. Yeah, and you don't want to be caught out because they keep shifting the dates, give mm. people a bit more time, and then suddenly you're caught out because yeah. this new change is in. So you need to really keep an eye on the news. And That's the pros and cons of a world garden, though, I guess, isn't it? So Yeah, I mean, you know me, I love a web app, but the native side is it's just a whole different ball game, really, in terms yeah. of being able to release when you want. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so I'm sitting there, I've done my initial build in Xcode or or whatever else um, for Android and and I've I've got it sitting there in the simulator or on a device and I'm I'm then using my my own editor, VS Code, whatever you use for for your day-to-day React work. And I'm just, like a normal project, I'm just just using, interacting just like I was building React app or? Yeah, that's right. So you'd you'd have an app.js as your entry point and then you use a library like React Navigation, which has native uh, navigation. So on Android, it'll feel differently. You can use the hardware back button. Yeah. On iOS, it'll be um, like you can do like the modals that iOS has and yep. all that kind of nice stuff that you get for free with native dev. Isn't that hard with React Native either? Nice. Um, and the only time you need to do a full rebuild is when you add a native dependency. Right, okay. Um, so it makes it really, really quick to, to sort of iterate. Um, so the so the packages you use in React Native Land um, assume that the actual build has the dependencies in there as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So okay. you need to bump your version number every time you add a new native dependency. Got you. Um, but there's a load of nice libraries. Um, Reanimated Two is really popular, um, and that's an animation library, but it actually offloads a lot of the heavy lifting to the native thread. Yeah. So instead of it happening in JS Land, it happens native land and nice. it makes it feel loads smoother um, that's pretty cool and you can do hardware acceleration and all that kind of stuff well especially with the devices themselves shipping with much more powerful capabilities on the GPU and so on that must be pretty, pretty yeah. exciting and there is a, th- a Twitter thread which argues that a well built React Native app 
um, can be quicker in some circumstances than than a well-built Android app um, because of the way that the threading works. Right. All because, right. Because it, a load of calculation happens off-thread and then it pushes differentials. Mm. Um, you have to do a lot of work to make to make it as quick. There are still some performance issues mm. which you need to be aware of. Um, I think... Uh, I can't remember if it's Shopify or someone. They've just released an Android-specific flat list, which is way more performant. Right. Um, That's cool. But yeah, you just need to keep an eye on what you're actually um, sending to the, to the nat- over the native bridge. Mm. Um, and if you do it correctly, and you, you have all the right sort of asynchronous loading and like infinite scroll stuff set up correctly mm. you're not rendering tons of stuff at once you're only rendering the stuff that's visible so. and so in that example where you've, you've got an area you might need to dip into more of the native code where you have performance issues or something like that how would you go about breaking into that from vs code so you know i've got a, i've got an infinite list i'm using the bridge as you said to to try and implement the components the way i want to but it's not quite working yeah. what are your options there then so my process tends to be if it's something really difficult, I like to have a clean environment to work on it. Yeah. So I might just check out the repo of the dependency standalone and look at their examples mm. and try and reproduce the issue there and then just hack on their code base and use their contributor guidelines mm. to produce the fix in Java, Kotlin, Objective-C, Swift, whatever it's in. Mm. Then once I've got it working, I'll copy that across to the main project. Yeah. Run the patch package function, and then, then we've got our working patch. So you'll so you'll you'll implement a fix in isolation, and then contribute to the um, the upstream project, basically. Yeah. So with with web React Native WebView, we've got a patch open for adding uh, menu items to the context menu. Right. Which because they haven't got feature parity between iOS and Android, so we thought. Okay, we'll just add it. Yeah, because <laughs> um, it's it should be there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. Nice. So the minute it's patch packaged into a, our project, but after more conversations happen on that PR, we're hoping that it'll get merged, and then we'll use the official one. Right. Because uh, because nice. the thing is, you don't want to maintain your patch forever. You want it to get no get um, it into that code base, and then then it's someone else's problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the kind of ethos of open source, which is if, if you need it, others might as well. And if it's, yeah. if it's oh, in line with the project. I guess you've got to remember that, that package maintainers are busy and they might not want your patch and they might not want the cost of maintaining it forever either. Yeah. Um, but other users might find it useful. So eventually maybe you could fork it if it's, was, it's never going to go in or... Well, that's when you see people creating kind of secondary libraries off off things like that that kind of fit more of a specific use case, don't you? So yeah, that's it. So you mentioned a few of the animation libraries and, and stuff. Do you also have the ability to um, plug into the different haptic engines and the devices and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, there's a nice haptic library that we use um, called React Native Haptic Feedback, um, and you can you can add you can add in this success error vibrations things that you don't actually really notice when you're using your phone but when it's not there yeah when it's not there it feels flat yeah um so like on this app we're building at the moment we're building a web browser and you change tabs and you get like a do do like a knock knock sort of feel mm. and it's it feels really nice like it's clunking into place yeah and it matches the animation um and that kind of feeling goes a long way to to, to let the user know that something's happened mm. um and you can have like an error rumble and things like that. And it's cool. slightly different 
um, patterns that you want on Android. They're used to slightly different vibrations, but it's best to try and match what pla- the yeah, platform Yeah, try and fit like. into the norm. Yeah, that's it. You don't want to make something that looks like an iOS app that runs on Android. So so with that, you know, if there are customizations you want to do for each platform, how is it just, is it just if statements everywhere when you're trying to fork this sort of stuff? How so does it work? There's a platform um, class and you can just add a switch so right. it'll, it'll like, can either output iOS or Android or or Windows even, mm. um, but you, you can add like a little switch thing in. Right, um, And it, it looks fairly tidy. Often it'll be things like uh, on iOS, you'll want to use their inbuilt icons. Right. And on Android, you'll want to use material icons. Yeah. Uh, just little things like that. And in terms of that, I guess it's just how you structure your code in terms of, it might, it might be a switch, but you might be able to um, package things up in separate functions or have you want to do that. It's- yeah, some people do... They'll have a class with a dot iOS and dot Android. I see. Um, and then it'll automatically switch between those. That's quite a nice way of encapsulating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, you just got to keep playing and making sure you're fitting in with what users expect. Um, and in terms of the kind of the rest of the ecosystem, so you know things like making requests to web services and and, and things like that. You know, inside of React, do you use um, you know some of the libraries that we're used to using already in React? Yeah, so React Query is really good. I think they've just renamed, actually. Right. Um, React Query and Axios. Yeah, because Axios is the under, well, was the underlying um, HTTP. I've got, I've, I've got a mind blank there. Yeah, it's like a HTTP. I was about to, I, I took a trip to the past then. I was about to say... Um, the, the, the full name for the Ajax. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. XML HTTP yeah, request. I, I, had, yeah, yeah. I had a brain fart then. I don't know what happened. No, um, Axios is really good. Fetch is good, but Axios I prefer because it's consistent. And yeah. you, you can, you've got a concept of interceptors, yeah. which are really good when you get um, unauthorized responses. You could just have a blanket. Oh, well, we'll if we're getting unauthorized on this request, yeah. probably want to log them out. Yeah. Or at least make the app know that they're logged out. Yeah, so yeah, so the nice thing about that is you can consistently handle so as you said, like change state or show modals for errors and things like that, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I think I definitely recommend uh Axios and React Query. React Query's really good for like the caching element. Mm. Um and then there's a there's a library, um well, a plugin, sorry, for Flipper. So Flipper is how you debug a React native app. Right. It's like a desktop app, it has network login there it's got various login you can inspect the layout so mm-hmm. you can like sort of hover over different things and it'll highlight that's pretty you can, cool you can change accessibility text and other elements to play around with it right kind of like chrome inspector for apps that's cool which is really useful um but yeah they've got a, a flipper plugin and then you can see why it's been cached what the cache key is and i think um tooling like that shows to goes to show how far some of the the ecosystems come you know i I know in the early days it was quite difficult to understand what that react native bridge was doing and how it was how it was actually functioning when it made it into the wild um these are really killer and key features for that developer experience that really wasn't there previously i think is that fair to say yeah it is there was very much a sort of console log every everything sort of feeling to it early on Mm. and flipper and the new the new error messages are so good. So you get, if, if it's a fatal, you get a full screen takeover, but they've redesigned it all and you get a stack trace. Right. And you can tap 
on the stack trace in your app and it'll open in your IDE on your ah, machine. Amazing. So is that use like source maps somehow or that has it? Yeah, yeah, using source maps and obviously there's a there's a um when you run Yarn Start on your desktop, there's the connection between the two and it must just pass it up and go That's cool. Right, open VS code to that specific line as well. That's really cool. And it's just like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's the sort of stuff that you I think we're now very used to in, in modern development environments. Um that yeah. when you're trying to build something like this, when it's not there, you really feel the pain. Yeah, definitely. The the most important thing with any kind of development is to to sort of shorten the feedback loop. So if you can if you can go from error to the line of code to changing it to seeing the result of it in mm. 20 seconds, then you, you're back in sort of web development yeah. vibes again. <laughs> which, which is good because especially with, with, a, with an agency like, you know, Parallax, it's, you've, got, you've got a team that are maybe predominantly working in and React anyway. Um, yeah. You know, it's quite nice to know that they would have the experience, uh, the same experience if they're working in app or, or, or web app. Um, and, and it's quite nice for you to know that you have the skills to distribute people onto whatever projects need it, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, that code reuse thing as well, like you can you can take some of those classes and reuse them for web stuff as well. Um, although we haven't gone full, uh, there's a package called React Native Web, which Twitter uses. We haven't done that. Right. But that basically renders the native UI as, as a web view, which is nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I, I, I have read about that, actually. Um, we haven't done that yet, but it's in theory it's an option. Yeah, but it, you almost want to do the web stuff as the web stuff mm. and not complicate it with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah other stuff. But yeah, you definitely reuse some classes. I mean, you're probably only saying that because you see web as the purer platform, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but there are reasons you would have an app, and it's it's access to hardware, location based data. Um, 3D face scanning, mm. like obviously the haptic feedback stuff. I don't think you can do in the web platform yet. Although they'll probably add it in with an allow box at some point. I think there is. Uh, there's definitely part of the web API um, where you can interact with those parts of the device, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but I guess it'd be yeah. Um, so I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, what 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 apps are there that we would not expect them to be built in something like React Native. So, you know, as you said, Twitter's kind of done the opposite there. Yeah. Um, I, I believe large parts of the Twitter app are still React Native, mm. um, but there is a lot of native stuff in there. Discord is full React Native, which is really right. nice. Oh, wow. Uh, Shopify's uh, app, where you know where you can see deliveries that are on the way. Yeah. That's React Native. That's quite an early React Native. Pinterest, Tesla app, which is really slick. Pinterest, has Pinterest always been uh, React Native? No. I because so. I remember early on they did some really slick native animations uh, on iOS specifically, but then they, they ported them out. But do you remember the early app? It was very, yeah, very springy, wasn't it? It was very springy app yeah. animations everywhere. And like that was skeuomorphic days as well, wasn't yeah. it? It probably had loads of like leather effects. Oh, I'm sure there was loads of stitch work everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really strange time, wasn't it? It yeah. was. A re you look at that now and you think that looks batshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think eventually large teams would look at iterating quickly with React Native and then start swapping it out with Native to get to get even closer to mm. where they wanted to go. Um, but for for certain budgets and team shapes, I just can't justify burning through that with two separate teams. 
Well, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, at the end of the day, particularly with, I mean, we were speaking about this um, earlier on and we were saying, you know, for some for some use cases, React Native doesn't make sense because you will want maybe a, a, an, not a native experience because you can achieve that with React Native, but you yeah. want to make sure you go down the um, the specific route from the start. So a good example of this was uh, Monzo. We talked about Monzo. Yeah. Um, and they always... They always needed multi-device, uh, uh, multi-platform, sorry. But they also probably had the team structure and the desire to go down the very specific platform route. Yeah. Um, for a while, the Android app was lagging behind a bit, which I'm sure they felt some pain on. Um, I wonder if they would, given the opportunity now to do it again, if they'd start with React Native. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Um, although if they're really invested in those yeah. <laughs> code bases, probably not. But no, and, and yeah. I think I think that, you know if you've got specific teams that definitely want to work directly with those platforms, uh, and, and you know, I think the key point from our conversation earlier was you know exactly what you want to build. Yeah. Well, for example, a video game would be a really bad idea yeah. to build in React Native because there's no native there's no native UI requirements. You no. can build it in a game engine and compile it to whatever. Yeah. Like you could build that in. Unity or yeah. what, Unreal Engine or whatever you want. Yeah, don't pick a web technology. No, to build games. To build games. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to be closer to the GPU than that. Yeah, uh, but for stuff that's got like scroll views, it's got s- some light animation, it's got mm. like crud, it's got native menus and things like that. That's web app. Totally, that's the web app. You could totally do it in React Native yeah. if you needed access to the native stuff as well. And it feels a lot different to a web app. Mm. Like it, I can't really explain it without showing. But yeah. like when you pull down, and you get that sort of little vibrate, and then the spinner, and then it snaps back up. Mm. That's subtly different on both platforms. So on yeah. Android, you get sometimes you get a bit of a stretch when you get to the top of a thing which I hate <laughs> it sort of stretches the content a little bit Yeah. To, and then you've got the bouncing effect on iOS and those little touches they all add up Yeah. and when you when they go away when you're just a web view mm. it, the users there like thinking I I just feel that this app isn't right feels clunky doesn't it yeah this is why Cordova and PhoneGap has sort of died not died a death still very much got an active community mm. and if you were an enterprise and you didn't give a a hoot about how it looked, <laughs> yeah. and you just want something quick. Yeah, phone gap. Yeah, go for it. But it's not where I want to be. I think, I think the tricky thing is though. Sometimes, a lot of the time, you end up in a halfway house where you're trying to recreate those native interactions, and it doesn't work. You try. You're trying to get like you know on a list that you're pulling down. You're trying to get the right level of springiness that yeah. iOS achieves. Or and like on Ionic goes a long way to do that, don't they? They've got a. They, they have an angular thing and then I think now but you don't do want to you don't want to spend your life recreating that spindly feeling <laughs> no. it's just not a good use of your time no yeah and it never feels right <laughs> no that's, and that's what I, and the problem is that Apple or whoever you know Android they'll be tweaking it all the time uh, yeah. you know, and it will change over time and, and trying if, to keep up with that if they change like, their native UI and it doesn't feel the same no. anymore then you yeah and then you've got horrible forks for different <laughs> versions of OS's and yeah, all sorts. Yeah, not um, the one. What what else have we missed? You know, I, I think we've kind of covered quite a lot of the different approaches. But yeah, so I think a really important thing with native is instantly showing something all the time, mm. making it feel very very responsive, even if you don't have the data yet. Mm. 
like, and this is important with web apps today as well. Yeah. Because um, you're getting more sort of single page web applications and users might not necessarily know when you're loading or not because it's not a full page reload. But yeah. skeleton loading is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an amazing thing called uh, React Content Loader. Right. And they have like a a demo website where you can you can upload like placeholder SVG and then it'll make that sort of shimmery effect. Nice. But you can just wrap it around standard uh, React Native UI elements and it'll guess what placeholder should look like. Oh, right. So if it's bits of text, it'll do a bit of text. And if it's an image, it'll do a block. And then That's cool. It'll just go, yeah, somewhat like that. <laughs> so at the very minimum, do that. But nice. ideally, get your designer, your local friendly designer, to, <laughs> to knock something up nice, drag it into there, and then you get your nice shimmery. That's nice. Whoosh, whoosh. And how does that work with scaling different aspect ratios and, and things like that? Yeah, so it'll match the layout of the things that you're in, so you can split them up into different sections. Nice. So if you've got a, uh, a list view, um, the list view will flex to the width usually, yeah. and it'll match whatever whatever's going on there. Nice. Um, so yeah. That's cool. It's good. So you can still enforce a lot of the things that have been working really hard to to build in, in Webland um, in, in all these different uh, environments as well. Yeah, so when, when Facebook started building React Native, mm. they really liked Flexbox. So they, they basically reverse engineered Flexbox in the browser. <laughs> and they, uh, there's a blog post about how they made it, but they basically just rewrote it from scratch. Right. Um, and then they've since ported that to native code. And that's one of your key dependencies is, mm. is a native Flexbox implementation for iOS and Android, which, which does all the magic stuff. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the spec that is still, I mean, the spec is pretty much nailed on, isn't it? But with, with it still being um, relatively new, and I know they're learning a lot about the, the uses of it, it's quite interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really nice. Um, and the way that different libraries interact and the way you can quickly knock layout together is, is really good. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, we sort of use this on the web as well, but um, state management. So I know everyone's really keen on like Redux and stuff. I think it's way over complicated. <laughs> um, so we use Zustand, which right. is amazing. It's all the advantages of Redux and you can still use a Redux style syntax if you want. Right. But you've just got this really simple way that you can have a slice of data that you want to transform and then the state propagates throughout. And does um, it still use stuff like reduces and everything to, to augment that or? So you, you can just sort of set a state and then and then if your component relies on that particular, you pull out one element of it. And mm. if that changes, your component updates. Oh, okay. Um, and you can also do like a shallow map. Um, so you only care if a certain part of an object changes or the order of some objects change. Right. So you're not necessarily re-rendering everything all the time. That's great. It just does the right amount. Um, so yeah. And is that is the stand is a uh, React Native specific state manager? That'll work on the web as well. Brilliant. Uh, but their their tagline is bare necessities for state management, and they've got a little bear logo. I would. I'm Definitely, so, I'm absolutely sold. <laughs> checking it out because it just makes your life so much easier. It's like you start using it, and you're like, "Why the fuck wasn't I using this before?" <laughs> it's one of those libraries where you show a dev it, and they're like, "Ah, oh, shit." <laughs> <laughs> so Brilliant. yeah, I would definitely recommend. Even yeah, if you're not building React Native apps and you found this whole podcast episode completely pointless, at least you've taken that state <laughs> management library away from it. Go look at the stand. Brilliant. Um, anything else that we need to know? 
No, I think just have a play. Um, just don't use Expo if you're going to publish it. <laughs> Eject from Expo immediately. That would be my only advice. But yeah, no, go for it. Have a play around. It's really cool. I think, um, you know, as, as someone that's not really used React Native much at all, I, I definitely want to have more of a play after this chat. Um, I'm, I'm certainly really interested in that developer experience and how how how, how the kind of crossover works with that web um, web development. So, you know, we've not really got onto the, the points here, but, you know, how, how you do shared design systems and things like that, I imagine there's some huge wins um, in that area, as well as relying on the native interactions, right? So Yeah, that's it. I mean, you can use things like Native Base, which is a, um, a component library with sort of tailwind-like classes and mm. to- design tokens, which are very in at the moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can make a theme file, so you have a suite of colors that you can reuse. Mm. And yeah, just good practices that you can do that apply to native apps as well. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to go and rebuild my site in React Native. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cool. Thanks very much, then, Maria. That was, that was a really interesting uh, run through React Native. No worries. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you've been listening to Offscript with me, Josh Nesbitt, and James Hall. Join us next time as we discuss our next topic, and don't forget to subscribe.